Hey, good morning, Hope Church. Let's sing together.
together Hope Church. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life was redeemed, only beauty remains, and my orphan heart was given My morning grew quiet, my feet arose to dance, when death was arrested, my life Oh, your grace is so free, washes over that made me new now life begins with you it's your endless love pouring down on us you have made us new now life begins with you release from my chains i'm a prisoner no my shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and called me his friend. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace was so free, washes over me. You have made You're Darkness rejoices though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in him. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, oh your grace was so free. Watch it Come to 
here at Hope Church, and we're so glad you're joining us through YouTube Live as we go through another one of our services, praying and getting together and being with each other around the Word of God. So glad you're with us. Just wanted to make you aware of a couple of things before we continue in worship. We are a church that still is going to stay connected even as we have to embrace some of these new ways of doing church. One of the ways that we're going to do that is just continuing to communicate with you via email and text message. Please go to our website. You can submit your names, your numbers, your emails there, and we can add you into lists to make sure that we keep you updated with what's going on. Specifically, through YouTube Live, it's very easy. Right now, you're looking at us, and you can scroll up just a little bit, and you'll see there's a couple of buttons there. One says subscribe. Click that button. You can subscribe to Hope Church's YouTube channel, and that way it'll be very easy to find us in the future. You can also click on that bell, and it'll allow you to set your notifications. That means that you could get an email. I just got an email that let me know that Hope Church was going live. That way you just never have to worry about whether or not we're going live, or you were with us, or you weren't, or you knew about it, or you didn't. It'll just let you know uh, perfectly. So yeah, click on that subscribe, click on that bell, and that way you'll be abreast of what we're doing. So as a church, as we're going through this time, we have to be careful that we let the things that are going on around us affect us at a heart level too deeply. God's given us the word that he's given us in order to make sure that we are cared for and kept close during these times. One of the words that uh, I've been praying through and thinking about a lot is Psalm chapter 3. I just want to read that to you really quickly. It says, the, the first half of that psalm, O Lord... How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Men are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke again. For the Lord sustained me. Listen, we as a church are following our governmental guidelines. We're making sure that we're doing everything that we are um, instructed to do, seeing the wisdom and what they're telling us. And yet we're not going to be a people of fear, but we're trusting that the Lord is with us, that he loves us. He's our shield, our glory, and the lifter of our heads. So this morning, we're just praying that as you're coming, you're meeting with us, YouTube Live, we're all gathering together, that God will meet with us this morning. Let me pray for us now. Lord and Heavenly Father, I do ask for your grace. I ask for your grace to teach us through your word today. I ask for your grace to meet us where we're at. As people are meeting in living rooms and, and different places in their homes, I just ask, Lord that you would still do what's necessary for this to be a service where we're gathering together. We're gathering together around your word. We're gathering together with 
not just the music, but the lyrics, the songs, the songs of your people, the worship and the cry of the heart of your people. And as we gather together around those shared truths and those shared convictions, Lord, I pray that you would gather us together. Have us be a people that are contacting each other, phones and text messages and Zoom calls. Have us be a people who are growing together during this difficult time, Lord. And I pray that you would do this for your glory and our good. It's in your holy name I pray. Let's sing home church. Wake me up from my slumber, oh God. Take these shaking hands. Wake me up from my slumber, oh God. Lift my eyes to yours, where my help comes from. Over and over. Over and over again, your love and mercy begin. No matter how far you No matter how far you find me where 
by God because you believe that he makes much of you or because you believe that he frees you and empowers you to enjoy making much of him. You know, there is great freedom in worshiping Jesus. To know the love of God is not based on our performance, right? But through Christ's perfection, that's why we can sing with full hearts that when Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of all that guilt that's in us, we can look up and see him there, the one who made an end of all our sin, because it's the sinless savior who died that our sinful souls counted free, that the God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Man, those are good words to sing. We can just rest in his goodness. Let's sing this together.
Amen. Like I said, my name is Ben, one of the pastors here, and today we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to Matthew, chapter 6. If you don't, please don't panic. We'll have the words on the screen for you. But we would invite you to read along with us as what we're saying is from the scriptures, and it's where we get all of our confidence. It's where we get the things that we're talking about, and it's how we want to be uh, connecting together uh, around God's word. If your kids are anything like mine, as we enter into week two, week three, and then many, many more weeks, uh, you're starting to get this question, what do we do now? That refrain comes again and again and again at our house. My wife did a great job. She built this schedule for them. There's things that they're supposed to be doing. There's things that they should be doing, but those categories start running out of options. It's creative time. Go do something creative. Okay, I did the creative stuff. What do we do now? Uh, okay, it's education time. No, go work on some of this educational stuff. Great, okay, I did that. What do we do now? And if you felt that from your kids, you probably also started to feel it individually. There's a part of you that starts to wonder, uh, what do I do now? I played the games that I wanted to play. I watched the movies that I wanted to watch. I picked up the books I wanted to read, and then maybe set those books back down. What do we do now? I mean, there's educational uh, professionals, there's medical professionals who are just going wild with all kinds of different stuff, but for many of us, our calendars are filled with things that would have happened, but now aren't happening. And so you can get busy, you can find things to do, But after a couple of weeks, there's a part of you that just wants to say, what do we do now? I certainly feel that. A lot of what I do is getting around people. And that is not what I should do right now. So what do we do now? Well, that's where I want to encourage you from the scriptures. Because there's something that God's given us that most of us are drastically underutilizing. And it could be service. Yeah, of course, we want you to be serving. And we've talked about several times how you can give blood at the American Red Cross. Do that. My point stands because once you do that, you've got to wait a while before you do it again. Okay, well, go to the Utah Food Bank and make deliveries. Yes, please do that. It's so easy. You can go onto their website. You can call. I think option five is to get to the volunteer department. And they schedule you. You pick a day and you pick a time when you're going to show up. And you can take up from, the, from one to four boxes. And you can take those boxes around to different homes. They'll give you the addresses. And you go and you drop them off, ring the doorbell, and then walk away so that those people can come and get their food. People who would have a difficult time going to get groceries on their own. And yes, please do that. But what after the service projects start to run low? What do you do now? 
What is the church supposed to be doing in order to really impact the world? Well, there's something that's very ancient and very powerful. There's something that's strangely filling, and again, a resource that is drastically underutilized by the church. I'm going to confess that as an individual, but I'm going to also diagnose that for us as a group. What I want us to do now is to feast. I want us to pray. Pray is going to be the vehicle. Pray is going to be the verb. But what we're doing really is feasting. Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. I want you to read this with me. It's going to be right here. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. What is this talking about? I don't know if you ever saw the movie. It was one of our favorites growing up. There's a movie called Hook with uh, Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams. It's an older one. I think it's probably available if you're looking for something to put on a queue. Um, it's a really interesting movie. I, I have all these memories from it. The, the boo box with putting scorpions down, that was like a horrifying thing. I still find that to be scary. Uh, there's the stuff with Rufy. Oh, and then Robin Williams is Peter Pan, and he does the uh, rooster call and everything. But there's one scene in particular, and it makes me think about, um, this verse makes me think about it. Because a lot of people think about faith, and they think about the kind of thing that a verse like this talks about with faith. And they imagine that you are enjoying what you can imagine yourself to enjoy. There's a scene in Hook where uh, Robin Williams is sitting down. He's still not really sure where he's at. He's still kind of in the process of converting back into Peter Pan. And he's sitting down with all the lost boys for dinner. And if you remember the scene, they get all of the, the dinner plates out and all of the servers come and bring all the food and they lay all this gigantic buffet out in front of all the lost boys. And then they pull off the cloches and like steam comes up, but then there's nothing in the bowls or the plates. And they say grace and then they, Robin Williams starts to pray and the rest of them just go, grace! And then they start grabbing from these bowls and these plates that are empty. And you, like Robin Williams, are sitting there watching as these kids are just like, their mouths are watering and they're so happy because they're eating, but they're eating nothing. And so he's trying to figure out what's going on. And then eventually, as you get towards the end of the scene, he has to sort of imagine and join into their collective pretend game. And when he does, if you remember, he flicks uh, what he thought was like pie filling he flicks it in Rufio's face, and for some reason it's really colorful, and he gets hit by whipped cream, and all of a sudden then he gets it, and the whole spread opens up before his eyes, and he sees this magnificent feast. Now, people that are outside the church think about things like this verse that we're reading in Isaiah, and they think that that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, that they think that we're talking about this idea that if you will just simply believe these things to be true, then they will sort of seem like they're true. And you can get to a place where you can mentally sort of trick yourself into enjoying a satisfaction and a fullness because you're pretending that it's real. 
And so there's some sort of placebo effect to faith where you get some sort of satisfaction out of the things that are taught in Christianity, but of course they're not actually true. Is that what we're talking about? Uh, I, I would say, of course not. If these things aren't true, then they're not going to satisfy. But what the, the writer of Isaiah is saying and what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6, which is where we're going, is that yes, they are true and in fact they will satisfy. That as you're thinking about what can I do or what can I really find satisfaction in when so many of the things that I normally do and so many of the patterns that I normally have are broken, we need to go to the one place we can get that from, which is him. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 6. It's a Sermon on the Mount, so this is Jesus, and he's preaching to his disciples and to a great group of people. They all sit down on a... Mount. He's standing on a mount, so that's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he gives this teaching. And right in the middle of this teaching, he instructs his disciples on how to and how not to pray. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 6. Scan down, if you will, to verse 5. That's where we're going to be reading. And Jesus begins. He says, and when you pray, when He's an assumption. When you pray, you're going to be praying. So when you pray, and that word pray, that's our means to this satisfaction. That's the way that we're going to get there. That's the verb. You pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and at the, at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they're going to be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, there's so much here. There's a ton going on. There's all kinds of things that we could talk about within these verses. But the way that I want us to kind of follow along with Jesus' teaching is understanding an obvious fact, which is that there's a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. It's crazy to think that. I think most of us sort of assume that God is like a puppy and he's just waiting on you to get home and he's scratching at the door and his tail's going nuts. And he's just hoping that maybe you'll give him a little bit of attention. If you're willing to just give him a little bit of time, he doesn't care about anything else. He's just so happy that you're talking to him. He's so needy. Uh, no. 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 <laughs> of course not. His love is overwhelming, but his person is majestic. When you go to stand before God, when you go to walk into his presence, it's nothing short than walking into the presence of the creator of everything, the Lord of the universe. It's as terrifying as walking into the halls of a king. The Bible doesn't just say that he's a king. It talks about him as the Lord and is specifically the Lord of hosts. 
That's the kind of language that we only get nowadays through like uh, Christmas carols and stuff. But the Lord of hosts is a fancy way of saying the Lord of armies. He is a big, strong, holy, powerful God. And when we come to speak to him, we need to examine ourselves. We can't just come speak to him because we choose to. We can come and speak to him because he loves us, because he's condescended to make a way for us, because he wants to speak to us. But if he gives us any kind of stricture on how we pray, if he gives us guidance on a wrong way to pray and how to avoid that wrong way, we're gonna, we need to follow it. For many of us, it's kind of a foreign concept that there's ways that we should not pray. But that's what it says here. It says, do not pray like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners and they, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When we say there's a wrong way we pray, we don't mean there's a wrong way to pray with volume. Or there's a wrong way to pray with posture. You have to be kneeling or you have to be standing. Or you have to have your hands up or you have to have your hands down. What God is concerned with is not the external circumstances of your prayer, but the internal circumstances of your prayer, the heart behind your prayer. As he's talking about these hypocrites that are praying for only the external or for the way that people will see them pray, and he's drawing a contrast between the way that you can pray just to be seen praying and the way that you can pray that's actual prayer. It puts me in mind of a story. So there's this guy named Charles Spurgeon. He was a pastor a century or more ago. But he told this excellent story that I think helps to make a distinction that we need. It's a story about a gardener, a king, and a nobleman. Once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in the land. And one day there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot he took, it as his, he took that carrot to his king and said, My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched, discerned the man's heart, and as he turned to go, the king said, Wait, you are a good steward of the earth. I want to give you a plot of land freely as a gift so you may garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted by the king's generosity. Of course he was. He went in with a carrot. He came out with a plot of land. Uh, and so he was amazed and delighted, and he went home rejoicing. But then there's a nobleman who's at the king's court, and he overheard all of this, and he said, My, if that's what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? The next day the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and he said, My Lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I have ever bred or will ever. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned that man's heart and simply said, Thank you. He took the horse and dismissed the nobleman. <laughs> the nobleman was perplexed, and so the king said to him, Let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot. But you were giving yourself the horse. Do you understand that story? There's a way that we can come and speak to God, and there's a way that we can come and interact with God that is about 
God. And then there's a way that we can come and we can speak to God. There's a way that we can interact with God that's really only about us. It's really only about the external. It's a way of using God in order to get at something else. And of course we can pray to God for all kinds of different things. But is the heart of our prayer about getting through God to something else that we really want? Or is it about coming to Him for Him? See, the Pharisees are the hypocrites that Jesus was referencing. They were big in their external presentation of their holiness. But the reason that they did that, what they cared about, was not the Holy One, but the people who would admire them. What they really cared about was themselves. They were using God as a means to the end of their true desire for self-glorification. It's possible, and I don't know where your heart is at, but it's possible that you pray, and maybe you don't pray with a lot of ostentation. Maybe you don't pray with a big flourish in order to get people to be impressed with you. But maybe you do pray with a heart that doesn't really care about the God that you pray to. He's really just the person. He's like the bank teller. And bank tellers can be nice and bank tellers can be mean. It doesn't really matter. As long as they do the transaction and you walk out of there with what you came in for. That's not what God is. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is actually speaking to a person, a person that loves you, a person that has for you incredible intentions. Who wants to give you what will really satisfy you. Look at the prayer that Jesus actually taught us to pray. This is what we call the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now those are familiar words. Maybe you've heard that said or spoken before. We teach our children to pray this prayer. I pray this prayer myself and I use it as a way to kind of think through the kinds of things that I should be praying and to align my heart with God's desire for my prayers. Listen to how it begins. It begins by talking about the one that we are addressing. It says, Our Father in heaven. He is our Father, but He's not our Father by rights. By rights, he's our creator. But Jesus, a Jewish man, speaking to a Jewish audience, was talking about the fatherhood that Israel experienced where they were selected by God. They were taken by God out of all the nations of the world and said, you are going to be this people that will be my people, a special people to me. A people through whom all the nations are going to be blessed. So God's point with doing that was not to make Israel separate from everybody else. And keep blessings away from everybody else, but to use Israel as a vehicle through whom he could bless the world. The same is true of the church today, because what God did with Israel, he did even more so, even more fully, fulfilled more thoroughly through what he did with Christ. Where Christ was able to pray and say, Father, and mean it because he was God's son... We are now able to pray and say, Father. So Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience, but Matthew wrote these words, and he wrote them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us, 
for us to be able to pray our Father because we've been adopted through Jesus into the family of God, able to pray and say, Father, we need to remember the one that we're speaking to, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, yes, and our Father, our heavenly Father. And then it says, hallowed be your name. Now, we never use the word hallowed. It's kind of interesting that we would even keep the word hallowed in this copy of the scriptures, this uh, translation of the scriptures. But it's a helpful word. It's a word for sacred. It's a word for holy. It means that God's name, we want to lift it up higher. We want to make it even more sacred, even more holy. Not because it can become more holy, but because it can become regarded as more holy. Look around in the world, look around in your own heart. Would you say that you have an appropriate understanding of the holiness of God? That his name carries the weight that it should? Oh man, of course not. What Jesus is praying is actually that God will become bigger in our hearts. That we'll see him really as he is. That we'll start to lift up his name and glorify his name as we should if we really knew what his name is. How big and heavy and beautiful his name is. The first petition of our heart, the first thing that we should care about when we go and we pray to God is understanding more who he is and interacting with him and having our hearts rightly understand and evaluate who it is that we're speaking to. Say, our Father, hallowed be your name. And then the second petition is like the first. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't know what you normally pray to God. But the beginning prayer, the Lord's prayer, is putting his priorities, putting his authority first. Jesus says in another part, if you seek first the kingdom of heaven, then all these other things are going to be added to you. If you will align your set of desires and priorities with God's set of desires and priorities, you can have confidence when you pray. Because he's going to delight to do the things that he evaluated and said are the best possible things. When we pray, what we're doing, I, when, I, when I set the whole case of this sermon into the, the concept of feasting, when we pray, what we're doing is we are aligning our hearts. We're starting to understand the feast that God is providing. Because, of course, no, just like these hypocrites, God is not going to use prayer in order to build you up, meaning to give you license to continue in your pride and your kind of self-idolatry. No. He's going to use prayer and he's going to use your interaction with him in order to rem remind you of the only thing that will really satisfy your heart. Of the only kind of love that is really going to meet you and change you. Look again, Isaiah 55, 2. It says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which, is, does, which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. We talk about this all the time at Hope Church. So helpful. A guy named Augustine from like the 400s 
So it's been a minute. But he did a good job of saying what the Bible says and what we say all the time. I'm only really going to be satisfied if I go to the only thing that can actually satisfy me. This is how Augustine said it. He said in a prayer, his book was Confessions, really famous if you ever want to read it. He says, God, you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. Now, things are going really, really bad really, really quickly. Economically, things are going really bad really quickly. And even so, you have experienced the Solomon syndrome. Solomon, guy in the Old Testament who had the wisdom and the money to get whatever he wanted, and he allowed himself whatever he wanted. Maybe in a very small way, you've done that even over the last couple of weeks. You're kind of down and you're kind of lonely, and so you've kind of done the stuff that you wanted to do. You ate out more than you normally do, and you went and got Ben and Jerry's, and you ate the whole carton. Can I ask you? Did it satisfy? You stayed up super late and you watched all the stuff you wanted to watch that you normally don't watch because you know what you got to do the next morning. Can I ask you? Did it satisfy? Yeah, I mean, many of us have these goals that we haven't reached yet and that we're looking forward to. These goals that are professional goals or these goals for our families or these goals for our, our, our wealth. Even if you haven't reached them yet, when you look back at goals that were similar, when you did reach those goals, did they satisfy? Time does not permit, but we have example after example after example after example of modern Solomons who can give you that same report. Money can't buy happiness. The people who say that are really, really wealthy people. What do they mean by that? They don't mean that it can't buy a nicer life because it can. What they mean is that it cannot buy a satisfying life. Existential, all the way down, down in your soul, satisfaction. It doesn't come from having more money because it doesn't come from the kind of thing that money can buy. It comes from one source. And that's him. That's why we start these prayers and we start by saying, you are my father. You're the one that I get my security from. You're the one that I get my satisfaction from. You're the one that I get my identity from. And I want your name to get bigger. Oh, Lord, may your name get bigger and bigger in my heart. And I pray now, I'm going to make my life about your kingdom coming and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And then, when that becomes the deep peace, the one thing that we really want, we begin praying for other stuff. Look at the second piece of this prayer. It says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, if you're like me, a lot of times when you pray, it starts with this kind of stuff. Daily need type of stuff. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Now, once you have understood who God is and aligned yourself with the things that he considers to be not only most important, but most satisfying, then, yeah, you start praying for the stuff that you still do need. You do pray for your daily bread. You do pray for your daily grace. You do pray for the things that you are going to need to daily get through the tasks that come up, the struggles and the problems that come up. Not only the new ones from today, but the old ones from yesterday. As you're bringing those to the Lord, you're remembering. Your situation is changing, not because you have a new situation, but because you remember true things that were always true. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm going to say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? You hear what he's saying? He's saying that you will have rejoicing. People are going to look at you from outside and they're going to say, that person is okay. Your reasonableness is going to be made known to all these people. Your ability to be reasonable, to be okay in a thousand different circumstances is going to be evident to the people around you. How do you do that? You're not anxious about anything because in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, you let your requests be made known to God. You're asking daily that he would give you the bread that you need. Now, sometimes we think about prayer and we try and put uh, God's answer or not answer on our faith. We're saying to ourselves, okay, man, God didn't answer that prayer. He didn't answer it how I expected him to answer it. I must not have strong enough faith. Can I say, I don't think that that's biblical. I don't know why, biblically, God would expect him to save you and him to provide for you and him to encourage you and then wait on your incredible strength in order to bring about big things in your world. No, I don't think it's the quality of your faith that matters as much as the object of your faith. Here's a little story. Two kids are taking a math test. One of them is supremely confident. That kid walked in happy, he walked in excited. He knew that he was going to just dominate this math test. And another kid was not excited about the math test. For whatever reason, they had absolutely no confidence in their own ability to accomplish the math test. So they walked in and they're biting their fingernails and they're super nervous about it and they're sweaty. And they're not talking to anybody because they're thinking about this math thing and they're trying to figure out are they going to do okay or not and they're really anxious. And both kids sit down and the first kid, the really, really confident kid, starts going through these questions. 7 plus 8, 16. 21 minus 9, 43. 7 plus 8, uh, let's do 17 this time. And he confidently just writes down whatever comes to his head. But then you have the anxious kid. The kid who's not sure at all if this is going to work or not. And he sits down and he says, 7 plus 8, oh gosh, why don't I have that many fingers? And he's taking his time and he's thinking through it and eventually, oh, he writes 15. And 3 plus 7 and he's trying to figure it out and he's not exactly sure, but uh, 10. And he goes through and he, he fills out his test. Now, both kids turn in the tests and both kids get their grades back. Who gets the better grade? Is it the kid who is absolutely confident 
No, it's the kid who gets the right answers. Guys, it's not just about the incredible sureness that you have. It's not about your ability to gin up some absolute confidence or some absolute assurity that God is going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. No. It's about the quality of the God you believe in. And I need you to understand that as we go into the last part of this prayer where he says, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because now we're talking about salvation type stuff. Do you know that God's forgiven you? Are you confident that you can even stand before him to ask these questions? If your confidence is in you, biblically, you're the idiot kid who's really confident about wrong answers. The Bible says that we're, we've fallen short of the glory of God. That we've all sinned. And that that sin is something that we've done repeatedly. We can't stand before him and be impressive. We can only stand before him in need. We can only stand before him and request. We can ask for his grace and we can ask for his forgiveness. Do you understand that that's what Jesus provided? See, Jesus gave this teaching, and this teaching's incredible. It's going to go all the way down, and it's going to do big things in you. But not just because of what he taught. Christianity is not really just about the principles that Jesus preached. Christianity is about the end that Jesus accomplished. About the work that he did. As Jesus came, not only to preach, but also to die and then to be raised. Specifically, to die with our sin and yet to be raised and forgiven by God totally. We can be forgiven because of what Jesus has done for us. He never, never, never sinned and yet he took the punishment that we deserve for our sin. So that even though we sin all the time, we can be given the reward for his righteousness. Being welcomed in and declared by God to be his children. Not by rights, but by grace. So, as you're going through this week, as you're going through the next week and the next week and the next week, what are you beginning to do? My hope is that you're beginning to pray. And not just pray with some sort of rote thing that you're going to say because it's what you're supposed to say. But that you're going to actually start to evaluate your heart understanding about you and God. That you're going to start going to your prayer time expecting to be satisfied. Not because of make-believe or pretend, but because you are speaking to a real God. And the things that the scripture says about Him are actually true. And that when you pray, you are asking the only person who can actually fix this situation that we're in to fix it. That when you pray, you are actually calling on the God of all heaven and earth to come and intercede for us. When you're asking yourself, what do we do now? There's only one answer. 
There's one thing you can do that will both satisfy and get something done, and that is to pray. Let's pray now. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we ask you to teach us to pray. You gave us, through Christ, this series of do's and don'ts about prayer. Helping us to understand that what we do when we pray is to stand before you and speak to you. I pray, Father, that we would be connecting with only you. I pray that we would go to you for our satisfaction, but also, Father, we would be going to you for the solutions that we need right now. The things that are going on, the excellent um, leadership that we have all around us, Father, it's going to be nil without you doing what only you can do. So we ask, Father, that you would heal our land. And that for those that are listening this morning, there would be many who would come to you to find the only satisfaction that can really ever be had. Not using you to get at something else, but finding in you that one thing that we really need. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Let's sing together.
Church, thank you so much for being with us. We just want to remind you of three ways that you can give at Hope. We want to help you in becoming a growing giver. And the first is to text any amount securely to 84321. Uh, the second way is to go to HopeChurchUtah.com and click the Give button in the top right. And, of course, you can always mail a check-in to Hope Church uh, Utah. We can connect with you on how to do that. Thank you for being with us. Go in His grace. Go in His peace. Have a great week. love.